0: Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our show offers a friendly conversation with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by the Learn It family of companies, including autism spectrum therapies, trellis services, and desert choice schools, helping all children succeed in school and life. Now, here is your host, Rob Haupt. Hey
1: everybody, welcome to All Autism Talk. I'm your host Rob Haupt. I'm a vice president at Autism Spectrum Therapies, uh, an ABA provider providing services to kids with autism uh in California and uh a number of other states across the country. Um I'm I'm also a BCBA and uh a board certified behavior analyst for uh about 8 years now and you know that really I think has impacted my perspective and it's it's on shows like today when i, I when i really kind of like to be able to kind of have that aba background as i, I talk to our guests and, and and talk about experiences um because you know the more people as we're going to speak to today people on the spectrum who who are kind of giving those experience giving those backgrounds it's kind of nice to have that counterbalance i i like hearing you know, these stories of this is what we did and specifically stories that are not based in ABA, where ABA was not something being done, um, but you can hear the concepts, the theory, you know, without even this person knowing it, and th- that cool concept that I think is something about ABA, to them it was just this makes sense and it's just this awesome reminder of, you know, the science of ABA, that it isn't about always this procedure, this technique, but good ABA really is about a good understanding of a science of human behavior. And um, when when I'm reminded of that, it just kind of reinvigorates me as to what I do, why I do it, and and why this works when it's done the right way. Uh, So today I'm joined by Ron Sanderson. Ron works full-time in the medical field and is a professor of theology at Destiny School of Ministry. He's an an advisory board member of Autism Society Faith Initiative of the Autism Society of America. He has a Master's of Divinity from Oral Roberts University. And Charisma House is publishing his book on April 5, 2016, which is entitled A Parent's Guide to Autism, Practical Advice biblical wisdom. Uh, he has over 10,000 scriptures memorized, including 22 complete books of the New Testament. Ron and his wife, Kristen, reside in Rochester Hills, Michigan, with their pet rabbit, Babs, and cat, Frishma.
2: So, Ron, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on your show. Uh,
1: I'm really glad to have you here. I mean, you're, you know, I, I, I got a chance as we were kind of gearing up to to familiarize myself with your story as, you know, as your book is, is starting to come out, but I was kind of hoping we could start off with, you know, kind of a little bit more about your background and your story and how autism has really impacted your life.
2: The way autism has really impacted my life is it's really made it difficult for social skills when I was growing up and also learning um, the ability to write and also be able to speak good. And uh, my development began normal, and then when I reached 18 months, at that Point in time, I lost my ability to have good eye contact. I also lost my ability to say words that I had previously learned. And my mom, Janet Sanderson, became very concerned that she was losing her son. So she had testing done. And at that time, the pediatricians and everyone said, he'll just grow out of it. He'll get back to normal growth. And she still knew that I was different than the other two sons that she had raised, Chuck and Steve. And then at eight years old, as I was still way behind in my development, she had um, testing done. The school wanted to label me as emotionally impaired, and they wanted to label me as emotionally impaired because then it would take less um, resources on their end to educate me. But my mom Mm -hmm. said it's definitely not um, emotional, but it's neurological. So she paid to have testing done at Henry Ford Hospital, which is one of the big ones in Michigan, and it came back that I had autism. And at that time, they diagnosed me as auto-input disorder. They said that I didn't process information the same way that everyone else did. And then from kindergarten all the way through till eighth grade, I was in special education. And um, then in eighth grade, I was taken out of special education and only had one hour a day of special education throughout high school. So... But the main way I was able to overcome a lot of the autism quirks and the um disability sides of it, like mm-hmm. um dyslexia, I had that too, and um my writing skills were very poor at that time is because of my mom's help. she was a professional artist, and she quit her day job to spend full time doing a pre um a b a therapy with me to teach mm-hmm. me how to write and how to use the gifts that I had.
1: You know, I'm curious, you, you mentioned going to Henry Ford Hospital, and, and it sounds like that was pre-kindergarten. So how old were you when you went for that evaluation?
2: I was about seven or eight years old at the time.
1: Okay. So was that, you know, one of the things that I I know a lot of people I've spoken to and, and some friends of mine on the spectrum, you know, everyone kind of, they themselves have learned the term autism at different ages. So when at what point did you and your mom have that conversation of like, what is autism and and have that kind of, like, dialogue about, you know, what this is.
2: They actually waited. They told me that I had a major learning disability, but it was only wow. in the last um, couple of years that I actually found out that it was autism.
3: Oh, wow.
2: And I always thought it was just dyslexia and just social awkwardness. Uh-huh. And then about three years ago, when my brother Chuck got diagnosed as having Asperger's as an adult, that's when they told me that I was on the spectrum too,
1: oh wow, that's really interesting you know just i reading some of your background I, I got the impression that you had um you had known about it at it earlier um just because you seemed so in touch with the way you described like these were my needs, and these are the things me and my mom did to to overcome them.
2: I knew that I had like a major learning disability, yeah. but it wasn't until that time that I actually had like an actual label on it, and by that oh. time I already was married and by that time I already yeah. had a career, and then right. that's when my career started taking a new path towards um, being focused on autism, and then even my writing career took a new mm-hmm. path on from being uh, focused on theology to autism,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and during that time is when I learned um, a lot of what I've learned today on autism doing um, over 80 interviews, 40 wow. with um, top professionals and um, 40 with parents who have a kid who has autism.
1: You know, I, I know you're, you mentioned your mom and, and, you know, from what I read, it sounds like your mom is just, was like this huge champion for you um, and, and really, as you said, like really taught you um, some empowerment. Um, you know, can you share some of the things your mom did to really empower you and help um, you know, establish the strength to to overcome these different disabilities?
2: One of the things she did is she took my special interest. My special interest as a child was a prairie uh-huh. dog, and everywhere I went I'd carry prairie pup, and she got me prairie pup when I was in kindergarten at an Arts and Apples um, fair. And I like to joke that in the 70s and 80s, most kids their toys were G.I. Joe or yeah. He-Man or Transformers, more than ci or even a Teddy Roxpin before he became a addict Teddy. Um, but mine was a prairie dog, and it was very unique. And my mom would sit down with me, and she'd draw prairie pup doing different social activities, and she'd have me um, tell her stories about prairie pup, and then she'd write down those stories. And since I learn everything by visual, I'm a visual learner, that's how I've been mm-hmm. able to memorize 10,000 scriptures. But phonetically, I can't learn anything. When I was a little kid, they said I spoke Norwegian because my speech was uh-huh. so different and awkward compared to everyone else. But through her drawing prairie pup and um, cheddar and the other animals, I was able to learn through that. And then in fourth grade, um, I entered the Detroit Edison drawing contest, and I drew prairie pup and won the contest for all of Oakland County and got to meet Isaiah Thomas, the um, Hall of Famer from Detroit Pistons. So she always encouraged me to, say, focus on my special interest, but to use a special interest for learning, social skills, and also abilities to be able to write and abilities to be able to better communicate myself with peers.
1: You know, one of the things I was curious about with, the, with Prairie Pup was, um, you know, you mentioned it. You know, I and and I'm a kid of, uh, you know, you mentioned all the toys I had growing up, you know, Transformers and He-Man and all this stuff. Um, Was there ever a point where, you know, the other kids maybe like made fun of Prairie Pup or or made fun of you? And were there things you did to kind of like get over it? Because I know sometimes, you know, some of our kids have special interests that they love, but maybe they're not necessarily deemed like the cool thing by their peers.
2: Yeah, in third grade, a kid handcuffed me to play equipment and then kidnapped Prairie Oh, my pup. God. He was the first um, amber alert for a prairie dog. I always joke it's a good thing that my special interest wasn't a honey badger. That guy wanted wow. something else coming because a honey badger doesn't put up with. But being a prairie dog, he was easily kidnapped. And then an elderly um, older lady, Miss June, rescued me and rescued Prairie Pup. But one of the ways that my mom kept... Prairie Pup to be cool, where um, most people think a worn-out animal wouldn't look too cool. The girls mm-hmm. in my class would all make outfits for Prairie pups. So whenever we had a special event, like when the school went to a one-room schoolhouse, Prairie mm-hmm. Pup had an old outfit on. And then when they had Halloween, every Halloween, Prairie would have some cool outfit on. So my mom used Prairie Pup to um, have gain other people's interest in Prairie mm-hmm. Dogs and um, I learned everything about a prairie dog. They make 18 miles of um, tunnels, and if their tunnels were dug any different than their dug, they'd suffocate in them, but they have secret compartments so they can get away from the rattlesnakes and and get away from the the ferret bad guys who come to steal their um, food. So I was able to use that knowledge to impress other kids, and also I had a great memory ability, and people were always, thrown back by my memory ability
1: oh what was it like were there specific types of things that you know like i guess trivia or things they would ask you to like recall when you know ha- tell us more about that i think that's kind of cool
2: i was able to um just memorize vast amount of information like on the prairie mm-hmm. dog, and then even like baseball i'd be able to tell you back then that was one of my interests too i'd be mm-hmm. able to tell you the batting averages all the players all the different um statistics of them, all the different interesting facts on baseball players, Mm -hmm. like um, George Brett is the only person to win three batting titles in um, three different decades, and just different facts like that that most people would um, not necessarily know but would be just kind of find interesting. um, Someone has so much um, knowledge as a little kid. And as the saying goes, most kids with autism relate better with grown ups and with children. That's how I was too. Is it grown ups were always thrown back by my vast knowledge of different subjects like theology or baseball mm-hmm. and sports.
1: So you mentioned sports and I'm I'm glad you mentioned this interest in baseball, um, because I know that track and field became a big part of your life as you got older and you went to high school. Um and so I I'm you know, sports is you know, I, I think about my childhood, and that was a huge part of um, of my life, and it was a big part of how I connected with with my peers. Um, did you find things change when you started to get more into sports and, and perform at that higher level in high school?
2: Yeah, with me, that was when I developed a lot of great social skills. Up to that point in time, I was bullied ruthlessly as a kid because I had sensory issues. If someone used bleach, a week after they used bleach, I could still smell. If wow. someone used nail polish, I could smell that nail polish for days after it being used, and people would pick on me. I say that most people like a water bottle. You take a water bottle, you mm-hmm. shake it up, nothing really happens, not much fizz. But with me neurologically, I'm like a Mountain Dew. You take the Mountain Dew, you start shaking it up, you start throwing it up in the air, then if someone opens it up, they did the Dew. And that's mm-hmm. how I was neurologically my um meltdowns made me more like Mountain Dew where it has that fizz to it and can explode where most people are like bottled water where things might get them upset but you can still open it up, still drink it and not be afraid of it going off in your face. And kids would really pick on me to get a reaction and that's what boys feed on. And then coming into, um, sixth grade, that's when Prairie Pup was expelled from the public school system. I like to say in my presentations, he was the first Mm -hmm. prairie dog who got um, expelled from the public school system. And then during sixth grade, I had a new special interest, it was baseball. I lived Mm -hmm. and breathed baseball, and my whole desire then was to be a professional baseball player. And coming into eighth grade, I was the second best baseball player trying out for the team. And I knew for sure I was going to be on that baseball team. And then came the day of tryouts, and I tried out, was the second-best player trying out, and then they posted who made the team. And when I looked on the tryout sheet, my name wasn't on it. I started crying. The coach came over to me, put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, Son, what you don't realize is you're a great baseball player, but you're the fastest runner in the school. If you run track, you're going to get full rides someday to a good school and be able to run track you play baseball you'll be good but you may not get a scholarship for college and help pay for it like you can with track and cross country so in eighth grade i began running track and cross country i set three school records for the long jump also for mid-distance a mile and also a half mile and then coming into my freshman year of high school i kind of drifted away i still ran track but i wasn't having that great season and then coming in my junior year, I became just totally passionate about track and also about wanting to someday be a minister. And during that time in my life, I became hyper-focused on track, and my relay team ran the 12th fastest time in the state of Michigan for the 3200 relay. And on the way back from our track meet, Nate Clay, who later on would run the uh, mile for the University of Minnesota under four minutes and win the Big Ten, Mm. You looked at our track coach, Bud, and said next year we'd be the fastest 3,200 relay in the state, but we won't have Ron on our track team. And right then I heard a voice in my heart that said you're going to run on the track team next year. And I knew it was the voice of God, I believed at the time, and I still mm-hmm. do believe. And um, the reason they said that I wouldn't be able to run on the track team next year is that Michigan High School Athletic Association, the MHSA, has an age limit, and in kindergarten, I was held back. So I was 19 years old coming in my senior year. And um, the coaches told me, there's no way you're going to run on the track team next year. In the last 20 years in the United States, no one has been able to compete past the age limit. And I just said, I know I'm going to run. I don't know how. And um, time went by, and it looked hopeless. And I came back from a five-mile run. And when I got the newspaper, they're on the front page of it, Detroit Free Press was a young man named Craig Stanley. He was born in May 1975, the same year I was born. He was a track and cross-country runner, which I was, and the MHSA told his family, too, they weren't going to let him compete. And my parents met with his parents. We had already called countless lawyers, and every one of them said it would cost about $40,000 to an Americans with Disabilities lawsuit, which neither of our families could afford and I looked at Craig and I said, I don't know how, but next year you and I are going to run on that track team. I know what's going to happen. And during this period of time in my life, I felt a call to get water baptized again. I was Presbyterian where you're baptized as an infant. And interesting enough, when I was an infant and was water baptized at nine months, I said my first word, which was mommy. And I knew then that I had to get rewater baptized. And the day I got water baptized, the minister who was... Um, my brother Chuck's pastor, but my brother Chuck was an associate pastor at the church, he looked at me when I came out of the water, and he said, I got a word for you, Joel 225, I repay the years the locusts eaten, the great locust, the young locusts, the other locusts, the locusts one, my great enemy son among you. And he said, something happened in your life that were like locusts, have taken away from your life, and today some special blessing is going to happen in your life for your obedience. And when I got home... I looked at the answering machine. It was before today's the cell phone, and it was blinking red. And when I pressed the red button, and it was a Sunday, too, interesting enough, when I pressed the button, it was a young lawyer named Rick Landle and he said, I want to take your case pro bono. My parents had called all the lawyers. They said it would be $40,000 or more for a case, and he was going to take it pro bono.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: my family, the Stanley family, we went out to Ann Arbor, Michigan, met with Rick Landle and – um he told us, I believe I can win your case because it's a non-contact sport. And um, they were held back in kindergarten, which me and Craig were both held back in kindergarten due to their mm-hmm. disability, and the ADA will cover it. And when mm-hmm. I walked out to the car, Rick Landel walked with me, and he looked at me, and I had never told him that my sport was baseball. and that Baseball was my special interest from sixth grade all the way to eighth grade when I started running track. And he looked at me and he said, it's a good thing your sport's not baseball. And I remember I turned white because I was thinking, "Why? how did he know about baseball and all the things I went through? Mm-hmm. And he said, because if your sport was baseball, in Kentucky a kid sued to play baseball and was determined it was a contact sport. And he said, you'd be sitting on the bench this coming year if your sport was baseball because it's contact. But since track is a non contact sport, I believe I can win this case. And right then I knew there was something special or a special call for that track season. And we ended up running on a track team. My relay team finished um, second in the state of Michigan time-wise. We ran the second-fastest time out of 182 teams. And I got full ride to Rochester College, which was then Michigan Christian College to run track and cross-country. And it was during this time that my special interest changed again. So it went from prairie dogs to baseball the track and field. Then it went to theology and memorizing the Bible. Mm-hmm.
1: So you know, in, in terms of this, you know, going back to the the part of this where which I think is really interesting. Just you know, we talk about self advocacy. We talk about you know, parents and kids advocating for themselves. You know, taking it to the level that you did to run track is is pretty is pretty intense. Um, and I'm just curious you know are there things from that experience that you've kind of drawn from um later on in life you know whether it be you know advocating for yourself or for others um in college as an adult as part of the autism society um you know how has that experience helped you
2: actually in writing my book i have a whole chapter called the power of advocacy and i talk about my case i also talk about with putting together your kids iep and um, being able to advocate for that. And while I was writing my book, I actually had an experience where I had to advocate. I was interviewing a world-renowned autism expert from the medical field from Colorado, and it took me a month to set up the interview. I kept going back with his secretary setting up the time, and um, it was a phone interview I had with him. I had all my questions ready, and about ten minutes before the phone interview, all of a sudden I hear this cranking noise. And I go outside my door of my apartment, and they're chiseling off every one of the doors, um, the siding on the doors. And I looked at them, and they said, I have autism, I have sensory issues, and with this noise, I'm not going to be able to have the interview I have with this Mm -hmm. world-renowned doctor out of Colorado. And they looked at me, and they laughed, and they said, the name of the owner of the apartment, he said, he doesn't make money by us sitting around doing nothing. And I said, what's his number so I can call him? they looked at me and laughed and said, good luck with getting him to have you stop. So I called the office of our apartment. I got the number to his um, assistant or the person who works right under him.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: talked to her, she said, good luck with them stopping. They're not going to stop. I don't care if you have sensory issues and the American Disability would say that we have to accommodate for you. And I said to her, I said, do you have an iPhone? She said, yes. I said, you Google right now, Sanderson versus the MHSAA. I said, next time you Google that, you're going to see Sanderson. I used the name of um, the owner of that company. I said, you're going to mm-hmm. see his name. And then within two minutes, in broken English, they looked at me. The one guy looked at me, and he said, they said, get the heck out of there. And then the other one said, before we have a major lawsuit, and they left. Wow. But a lot of times, people don't know their rights, and um, it can cause us to miss out on things. like. If my mom wouldn't have fought for my right, I wouldn't have gotten to go to college. I wouldn't have been able to be where I am today and have a master's degree because with my special interest the way it was, my grades in high school are very low. I graduated from Adams High School at only a 2.5, where when my interest switched to um, academics in college, I graduated undergrad with 3.95 grade point average with a degree in psychology and theology and a master divinity with a perfect 4.0. But if it wasn't for that case and being able to run track and be able to get that scholarship, those other gifts would have laid dormant. But through mm-hmm. athletics, those gifts were able to flourish. I was able to make a lot of friends. And people would see how fast I was as a runner, and all of a sudden they had a new respect for me.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: I tell parents to advocate for their rights because if they don't, have the same rights as everyone else and be able to do those things, then later on they're not going to be able to develop the skills that they're going to need for employment and the skills they're going to need for independence, and they're going to end up being that oddity at the library, the person who has autism, who's at the library, who kind of stays to himself, just plays video games at the library, instead of being able to be in the workforce and be able to have the freedom that I'm able to experience because of my mom's advocacy. And also the empowerment she's given me by teaching me to be able to advocate for myself.
1: You know, so you've got this amazing story, you know, and it's a story that I think part of what makes it so amazing is how it spans these different parts of your life, you know, and how, it, as you said, you know, it starts with Perry Pup, it moves to the special interest of sports. Sports was a focus where school wasn't, but then you leverage school or sorry, sports to then go to college and where school now becomes a focus for you. Um, you know, it's this amazing story. Um, it's one that I think is awesome that you're sharing, but was there ever any point where you had some reservations about being this public figure and and sharing all of this in, in your book or, Was this something that you just knew right away, you just wanted people to hear about and learn from?
2: I think that um, I've always wanted people to know my story, but I went through a really tough time in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, My special interest, I mentioned, turned to theology. And when it turned to theology, I was able to memorize in one year 2,000 Bible verses. And people kept telling me as I memorized the Bible verses, you're just like... Dr. Jack Van Impey, who's a famous TV evangelist. He's on WGN, TBN. And I always would say, Who's Dr. Jack Van Impey? because I hadn't heard of him at the time. And the Mm -hmm. first time I saw his TV show, he said at the end of his TV show, I'm having an open house at my office so people can come from the outside and meet me. And I thought, Surely he's from California or Texas. I'll never meet him. But it turned out his office was right in Rochester Hills, Michigan, right Mm -hmm. where I live. So, Me and my mom went out there. My mom advocated for me, told him about my special interest in the Bible verses, and I had 2,000 Bible verses memorized at the time. Now I have over 10,000. He also has 10,000. And he said, when Ron gets to college, I want him to come to my ministry and be the first intern at my ministry and then help minister or help him be mentored to be able to um, be in the full-time ministry someday. Mm -hmm. And then when I got into college, I was able to mentor under him, and have him as a um, an intern at his ministry. And um, during that period of time, that's why I thought my next step was going to be, is that someday I'd be the guy who'd help carry on his ministry. And then when I got done with college, I began working in a church. And then when the economy went down in Michigan due to the automotive field, yeah. all of a sudden I found myself out of job at the church I worked at. And um, during that time, was a real struggle. I got a job working in a skate shop for only five fifty an hour, quirky skate shop. So it was a quirky job for a guy who has quirks from autism. And during that time is when it, I hit rock bottom. I started questioning um, what was I doing. I had a master of divinity, and I'm making five fifty an hour. And during that time, I ended up getting the job working in the health field where I've been working now for eight years at Havenwick Hospital, and it was during Mm -hmm. this time, too, that I actually started working with people with autism, and I started to realize I had these quirks. I had the same
3: things Mm -hmm. these people with
2: autism had um, who I was working with, and that's when I started questioning if I had autism and that that was what my learning disability was, audio input at that time. And Mm -hmm. that's when my parents were the ones who told me that, confirmed that, yes, I did have autism, like my brother Chuck has Asperger's.
1: When you when you when they confirmed that for you, I mean, was that a relief? Was that um, something that like actually made this a little bit easier? Or was that something that took some time for you to really come to grips with?
2: It was a relief because then all of a sudden I realized that I'm not different.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I'm different, but I'm not less. Like Temple Grand says, I'm different, but not less. Because I realize now it all made sense that different quirky things I've done in life, now, I'll give a funny story because people always ask what's some of the quirks that you you have. One of yeah. them is this. Is, um, I lack um, sometimes, I take things too literal. So the mm-hmm. year was 1996. I was working at a car wash. I was a freshman in college, and it was during the summertime, so I was working at the car wash during the summer to pay for um, have spending money. And as I'm driving to work, 97 won the ticket. They're saying on the radio, Wayne Fonts is about to get fired. He has one of the best running backs all time in Barry Sanders. He has one of the best wide receivers in Herman Moore. And -hmm. he has an unbelievable quarterback in Scott Mitchell, and they didn't make the playoffs this year, so they're going to let him go. And I keep hearing this on the radio um, every day for like a week. So I'm working at the car wash, and who should show up there in their white Jaguar with a, Cuban cigar between his mouth, but Wayne Fonce himself. So, after drying off his car, all the employees at the car wash, they were all high schoolers and college students. Mm-hmm. They all run and have papers for him to sign. And I also have a paper for him. And after they get done signing, I hand him a piece of paper. He looks at it, dumbfounded for a second and said, you want my autograph? I said, no, it's a job application, Wayne Fonce. I said, "And next year... <laughs> Days, they said, you're going to be fired, and I don't want you sitting on the couch collecting unemployment, but I want you to have a fun place to work like this car wash.
3: <laughs> and he was
2: the most outspoken coach the Lions ever had and the winningest coach. And for once in his life, he was speechless. And I say autism, some of the stuff we do will make people speechless because they just shake their head. They can't believe that someone would, or someone would do the things that we do sometimes
1: that That is a great story, <laughs> I remember Wayne Fonts, and I remember that team very, very well um you know i i I do want to say you know you said it at the beginning before this story, and I thought it was kind of cool the way you said, um when you found out you had autism, you realized you weren't different, and I know you kind of corrected yourself, but I actually thought your your initial reaction like to me, that summed it up perfectly because I yeah. think we're mm-hmm. – I mean, just talking to all the different people I talk to on this show, all you know, the different people I know on the spectrum, I mean, that feels like it's becoming more and more that sentiment of this isn't different. And yeah. we're, and, and, and I, that's that a real change. Apologize. No, go ahead. I was
2: going to share a story. So when I interviewed all these people, I what I tried to do is I'd interview the moms because I knew how mm-hmm. much my mom helped me. And I could learn so much from interviewing parents. And then I started to see there was a common pattern that all of us with autism shared. And Mm -hmm. one of my favorite interviews was Jill Marzo, the mother of the professional surfer Clay Marzo, who's one of the four best surfers in the world. And one of the stories she told me that I've always remembered, because it sounded like something I would have done, she Mm -hmm. told her son, Clay, you need to go check out, this surfer and see how he's doing. He was another professional one. So a couple of days later, she asked Clay, "Did you see? Did you go check out um, the surfer?" And she names his name. And he said, "Oh, he has all kinds of great sponsors. He has, um, and he's naming all the things that he saw in his house." And she goes, "Um, but how is he doing?" He goes, "Oh, I don't know. When I came, he wasn't home, so I just walked in and and saw the new surfing stuff that he got." But a lot of times. We lack common sense to realize you don't just go into someone's house yeah. if you are not home. You wait till they come home. And I realize that some of the things I do that are quirky, uh-huh. other people do the same thing who are on the spectrum.
1: Sure, you know you, you know these stories, and and I I think it's really cool that you you are interviewing people's moms because I. I you know, it it makes me think about myself and, you know, my mom kind of influenced so much of of who I became based on, you know, it it wasn't necessarily a matter of advocating because I had a disability or a special need, but there was a lot of that type of self-advocacy of, well, this is what you want or this is what you need and you have to ask for it. Um, And so you and your mom, you know, serve as these in many ways, especially with this book coming out, you know, you get this opportunity to serve as role models to to moms and to to children out there on the spectrum. Um, you know, you've had this, this amazing journey. Um, I think, you know, I know a lot of teenagers and, and 20-something-year-olds on the spectrum who their number one goal is something you've accomplished, which is to get married and start a family. And I know that's something that you guys are in the process of doing and, and have a baby coming in March. Um, you know, what, what advice do you have for them as, as this, you know, role model, and as someone who's gone through this yourself, um, to these, to these young adults who, who are striving for so much of what you've been able to accomplish?
2: My advice is perseverance. There's an old saying, um, Charles Spurgeon said, by perseverance the snail made it on the ark. And a lot of times with autism, we lack common sense. We lack um, the social skills. We have all these things that we lack, but we have a gift. And that gift is like a bottle. You throw it in the ocean, and then over time it gets refined. And my mm-hmm. message is you got to refine your gift, and your gift is you – do the hard work it's going to come from being sharp and where it cuts someone where it will become smooth and when you find glass from the ocean or glass from Lake Michigan which is a big lake in Michigan it's smooth because it's been refined and Mm -hmm. I tell people if you persevere hard enough if you keep hitting hard enough there's going to be a breakthrough and that's why I tell people to just take your gift keep refining it no matter what happens, keep working in it, and then as it becomes smooth, then you're going to have something to offer, and then people are going to come to you. There's a, My mom, one of her favorite verses was Proverbs 22:29. Do you see a man skilled in his labors? He was served before kings and not obscure men. And she knew that I had this gift, and she knew that she refined it, if she got it smoothed, if she got it to a place where it could be used, that I'd be able to stand before kings, and stand before important people, and be able to use my gift. And that gift has even enabled me to meet people like Muhammad Ali. One of my friends in college was a director of American Heroes, and he invited me out to Washington, D.C., and when I was out in Washington, D.C. with his organization, they had Muhammad Ali come out there, but it was my gift that made him become my friend at first, because he saw all the Bible verses I had memorized, and he was just amazed by it, and it was all because of my mom taking those abilities and teaching me to be able to focus on them, but focus on them in a useful way where I'd be able to use them later on.
3: Yeah.
1: Well, thank you so much for being here. I mean, it's it's so great to hear your story and to, you know, as I said, just see this evolution because I think that's what's so interesting about it is how your journey has kind of evolved. And, and as you said... Has refined um, as you hit these different stages. Um, we talked about the book, and I know it's it's coming out in uh, April of 2016. Um, but you also have a website, and I know you love hearing from people and providing this mentorship. So uh, can you give everyone your website and and how they can maybe reach you if they have any questions or or uh, you know want to find out what you're doing?
2: My website is Spectrum inclusion.com and then they can also reach me from email at sandison s-a-n-d-i-s-o-n four five six at com.
1: awesome well ron thank you so much for being here congratulations on uh on your child on the way uh i just had mine two months ago and so uh Enjoy your sleep. Uh all the all the jokes are true. You will not be sleeping very well
3: for yeah, the few for. months.
1: <laughs> oh, they're telling you the truth. But uh but you're going to love it. It's amazing. So uh but thank you. This has been great chatting with you.
2: Yeah, thanks so much for having me on your show and be able to share my story.
1: Thank you everybody for being here with us. Uh I'm really excited we got to talk to Ron. Ron is um you know, as I said, he's got a really uh interesting story. You know, I, I, I don't know, um, if I've ever, you know, talked to someone on the show yet about taking a special interest as he did and and see it evolve. And I I, I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was really cool the uh you know, as Ron was talking about uh how theology has became that special interest of him is in college. And it was like that I don't know, it's that cool aha moment of like, yes, your special interests can actually help become part of your career. And, you know, we've talked to guests before about using special interests as that, that motivation for, um, for school, you know, that motivation to be able to teach math or to do, you know, uh, English class and, and do book reports around it. Um, but I don't know if we've ever really talked about how this that evolution can take place. And it was just really cool to hear Ron's story. And, you know, as I was going to his website, which I think, you know, he gave us the information um, about uh, Spectrum Inclusion. And I think it's awesome. I mean, he gives a lot of great personal stories there, a lot of quotes. And it it's nice to kind of hear his progression. So I'm, I'm really excited about when his book comes out because you really get this nice story that hits a lot of different parts of the concepts and the topics we've been talking about. I mean, we didn't even get into um, some of the things about his personal life, which, you know, talk about, uh, you know, our, our friends from that great documentary, Autism and Love. I mean, you know, his his life and, and I'm sure what he's doing with his wife and, and this family, this amazing family is about to start. Like, that is that is such a, a role model and mentor for, for so many of the different people um who who you've spoken to. So I definitely recommend, you know, you guys take a look at his website. Um as I said I'm I'm pretty excited for his book to kinda of hear more and more about some of his experiences and, and some of the things he's learned. Um as always, questions, comments, thoughts, let us know. More info at AutismTherapies.com or the Autism Spectrum Therapies Facebook page is a great place to to reach us and let us know what's going on with you or ask us if uh, if there's any questions you have. Um, As always, take care of yourselves, have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye.
0: We hope you have enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. For additional information and resources about autism, visit www.learnitsystems.org backslash family. Know an inspiring group or individual we should talk to? We would love to hear more from you at more info at autismtherapies.com. Want to hear more? Listen to previous episodes at www.allautismtalk.com. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.